The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as Mike Zuzalo joins us with Global Commodity Analytics and an interesting marketing trade day. Of course, Thursday was a holiday, so there was no market action. Nothing happened until the Friday morning trade and it came out of there not to the best on the soybean side. We did see some higher numbers on the corn and the wheat, but the beans are the ones that really, Mike, from the very start had the struggle of the trade. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's easy to kind of fit things after it's happened, Susan, but I do feel like that in the case of the soybeans versus the wheat and the corn, you could see a distinction again that the trade favored the feed grains. And I think you had a cash market really supporting the wheat and the corn. The wheat, because of the French crop ratings dropping, I think, 10 points uh, this week versus last week. And I think also we're getting some stronger feelers out there on the soft red wheat uh, harvest not going well a lot of damaged wheat a lot of low protein or uh, uh, potentially uh, high um, vomitoxin or uh, problematic wheat and that that even can't, can't be fed and there's probably not enough wheat around in that part of the country to mix at this stage and then you had the hard red wheat another big rain came through parts of kansas and I suspect Monday we'll have a situation where you'll see the harvest progress really not keeping up with the average. So wheat supported the corn. I think the cash corn price, thanks to the grain stocks report especially, also came in. Because earlier this week, we saw the Ohio-Indiana cash basis levels at processors, ethanol plants, jump substantially. And that even went to central Illinois at the ADM facility in Decatur, Illinois, which is our kind of our benchmark because it's such a large producer of ethanol for the country. But we actually got into that close to $5 cash corn price, and I think you saw that show up on Friday's report. The other thing that I will mention, and I think it's a biggie, uh, you notice the two biggest losers on Friday were hogs and soybeans. And note more specifically in the August contracts, For both of them, they were down 1.6% each, so they were mirroring each other just almost perfectly. I think that's kind of a footprint of the Chinese-U.S. trade negotiations not really panning out very well. And when we went home Wednesday, we were thinking that hogs and beans, pork and beans, would be bought by the Chinese. And I think the trade took away uh, from that mindset on Friday and, and pulled the premium that maybe they put in. Uh, in, in large part that we saw on Wednesday, especially for the soybeans. So the trade was back to buying corn, selling beans. You know, the pressure that China and this whole trade talk has put on these markets, enough for a, a double dose of Excedrin as you try to, to work your way through it. it it's really frustrating because I, I told another person um, in the media that I spoke with Friday, and I only say this because I, I really am sincere and not trying to embellish or add extra zeal or flavor to my commentary, but this is truly historic in terms of what we're dealing with on the African swine fever front in uh, China. And the latest information that I have, which just came to me uh, late this week, was from a fellow that uh, I know uh, who had just returned, who has interests in the hog industry over there. 
and he essentially said, paraphrasing, I got caught up like everybody else in the idea that this market was going to go straight up and didn't appreciate how slow the storage supplies would drop in China, that they had they had filled up the freezers literally uh, the last couple months. And so now I think between that and a fresh case of African swine fever being found on Friday morning and then China's agriculture ministry saying they have now, quote, a zero tolerance to conceal outbreaks of African swine fever. Well, that's great, but that's about five months too late. I, I think we really have an issue still with the soybeans. And from my crop tour that I did uh, this past week, as I was going on vacation and seeing family and, and friends, I, I went from Atchison all the way up to Ann Arbor, Battle Creek, Creek, Michigan, down to Dayton, Ohio, over to Lawrenceville, Illinois, and then back up a different route on the way back. Uh, through Illinois uh, to to Atchison again. Um, I, I think that the bean acres are down, but I hesitate to think and am skeptical that they're down 10% like USDA is suggesting in that acreage update. Now, looking at the, you know, the acreage update, it's amazing that a week past those numbers that came out and, and looking at where this market has been, it seems to just be a a reoccurrence of discussion and I think there is there just a lot of uncertainty as to what these numbers have to say a lot of questions that will be answered in future USDA reports yeah and I think you bring up a massive point I mean we closed out June 27th in December corn at 451 and we closed the Friday afternoon trade at 442 and a quarter and so we were literally within eight cents nine cents excuse me, of going positive on the week or getting back to square with where we were before the trade uh, saw those numbers on the 28th. And kind of the same thing with the soy, with the wheat market is, yes, we lost um, probably about 30 cents on the week or close to it in the uh, September wheat especially versus where we were on the 27th. Um, but we are also at an inverted market. July wheat closed uh, at 517 September at 516 and a quarter. The last time we saw that inversion was back in early May for about one and a half days. Before that, it was all the way back to 2015. You'd have to go to see the front end wheat be premium to the next contract. So between that and what I saw on my crop tour, um, I, I just don't think the acreage base is out there, even though I didn't see as much prevent plant as I thought I would see. I still think it's a big enough number. It's going to be hard to get above 91 million acres, but I'm really setting my sights on the yield and the harvested acres because, Susan, about 70% of the crop I saw in about six different, five, six different states were all in the same boat. They well, stick around, folks. We're going to talk more about what Mike saw, not only from the windshield, but I have a feeling he got out of that vehicle once in a while to check it out. More is coming up. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Carney. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzalo is joining us with Global Commodity Analytics. And I always love during the commercial break, the things that we get to talk about kind of leads into what we're going to do right now because it is gray. It has been rainy on and off here in the eastern part of Nebraska. And it's definitely some cooler temperatures. And I know, Mike, we really benefited from those heat units that we received the last, oh, six, seven days. But now, cooler, not good for the corn, definitely not good for the beans. No, the beans are sitting in wet feed in a large percentage of the bean belt, and that's where the supply side, you know, if anything you take away from today's uh, final bell, in my opinion, Susan, we're in a market right now where it probably be better if you're a producer 
if you can get old crop beans hedged above $9 cash, I would probably go after it and replace some of those bushels on paper. I'm, I'm more of a long on paper in the soybeans, and then I don't have to worry as much about overselling if the yield keeps dropping, and I don't have to worry as much about not selling enough if the demand side keeps dropping faster. That's about the only way we're going to get through this, as I see it. But you're exactly right on my trip. And as you say, when I got out and looked at the corn and looked at the beans, it was very clear that that 70-plus percent of the crop that it's running 45 days behind and is short, to, and it looks like June 4th or June 5th corn, not July 4th or July 5th corn, uh, it's going to need heat. And, yeah, we're going to need rains as well, but it's going to need heat. And I really question that based upon some of the model maps that I'm looking at now and also some of the model maps that my primary meteorological consultant is sending me that as we get into the next week, like the 15th, 16th of July, Lamar's, Iowa, the northern Corn Belt, as we would call it, uh, you're looking at highs of 70 and lows of 50. And I am looking at a, a chart right now for the temperatures over the next 10 days, 15 days, that suggests it's really going to be hard to break 80 degrees after July 14th. And that goes all the way out to the 21st. If that ends up being accurate, and we know those back-end model maps are usually only about 50% accurate, but if that does end up being accurate and we go back cool and wet like we had three weeks ago, uh, I just don't think we're going to have enough heat. And I think what I'm starting to tell my producer clients and subscribers is that I'll, I'll put in a bigger reduction on harvested acres this year, whatever USDA gives us uh, in August, and then I'm going to probably be, it's going to be tough for me to go over 165 for a national corn yield. Well, you know, you look at, at those numbers, the numbers that you were talking about, let's kind of rewind to February, beginning of March. You and many said that this was going to be such a very strong weather-related market that we were going to see effects both on the grain and the livestock side, you know, come midsummer. And here we are midsummer, and it's holding true. And the best part about that is that it's not just about the United States. While the South Americans really pulled a rabbit out of the hat um, after February in terms of really seeing a shift in weather right in the nick of time and helping their corn, especially their second corn crop in Brazil, and helping their bean crop in, in uh, Brazil as well, uh, I think that you have enough wheat areas that are really getting too much heat that you don't have that competition between the wheat and the corn, the wheat pulling on the corn like we've had the last five years. I'm hopeful that USDA finally comes around to that in the August report. If there's one thing that I'll be looking at, it's obvious what everybody else will be looking at, and that's the soybean supply-demand data for the United States. What's the acres? What's the yield? What's the exports? But the second thing right after that is going to be, what's the world wheat ending stocks going to show me? Because if it drops enough, then that just adds more upside potential to the corn if weather's not good. Over to the livestock side, cattle market, we held on to some early gains early on for a Friday trade, but really a very quiet type of activity. It was. It was a lighter trading day, but not terribly light. I really like the fact that the August fat cattle have found a bottom here on the weekly chart. It looks very healthy. I also like the fact that the August feeder cattle were able to get back up to that 139 area on a closing basis just underneath it, snug up underneath it. My undervalue for the feeder cattle continues to be in the lead month futures right around 137. And, you know, obviously this is going to be um, changing as we go through the months. But for the next 30, 45 days, I feel like 137 undervalue is a good number. 
I feel like overvalue number in the feeder cattle is all the way up around 155, 160. And I'm suggesting that because I really do think we had bigger hits to the the cattle and the placements and, and the uh, the cyclone bombs this spring and late winter, along with the bigger uh, uh, reduction in dressed weights for the fat cattle, the feeder cattle, are due for a move back up. It wasn't that long ago, Susan. It was back during the end of April that we were testing that 151, 152 level in the lead month feeder cattle. I think that's something we need to be testing here within the next 30 days. And most importantly to both those price targets in terms of upside for feeders and fats is the hog market. I really am starting to promote the idea that I think the fundamentals are coming around that China's going to be needing to buy U.S. pork. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? Oh, by far. Go to the website because of the blog posts that I've put up with the crop uh, tour that I just got done doing are all open at Biz is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle and all the local dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.